This is Truth With Grace, the media ministry of Grace Baptist Church. We're so pleased you've joined us today as we continue our exploration of the truth found in God's Word and the grace of salvation. Pastor Pierre Rosa is continuing his preaching from the Gospel of Matthew, and today we're nearing the end of chapter 26. We're witnessing one of the more famous scenes from the Passion Narrative of Christ. Peter denies Christ in spite of his promise never to do so. Peter's failure was predicted by Christ, and it's the kind of cowardice that should feel familiar, since most Christians have failed Jesus in this very same way. We learned last week about the spiral of spiritual pride that starts with the deception of self-confidence. Now we'll see the defiance of the self-sufficient and the desperation of the self-reliant in hopes we can avoid Peter's mistake and avoid the downward spiral of sin. My name is Brian Schmidt, and I'll have more information for you at the end of this program. But for now, let's listen to the rest of today's message from Pastor Pierre. Peter obviously struggled with spiritual pride his entire life, even after he saw the risen Lord, even after he was already a leader in the early church. In one occasion, God gave him a vision and instructed him to eat ceremonially unclean animals. And listen to his answer, Acts 10, verse 14. By no means, Lord. Can you think of anything more arrogant than to say to the Lord, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything unholy and unclean. Now, we are no less prone to rebellion, no matter how long we've been walking with Jesus or regardless of our position in the church. We have defied divine orders, perhaps not as blatantly as Peter, and we continually experience the temptation to answer him when he instructs us how to live. By no means, Lord, I have a better plan. Now, Matthew describes the fall of this servant, or our fellow disciple here, Peter, not too long after Peter swore unwavering allegiance to the Lord. But the purpose of Matthew here is not to embarrass his brother in Christ, but to show, obviously under divine inspiration, how much we identify with Peter, how much we identify with a troubled disciple here. But thankfully, the scene we're going to read today does not picture ultimate failure, but one of the most gracious and glorious demonstrations of the restoration power of the gospel, the restoring power of God. Follow along with me, Matthew 26, verses 69 through 75. Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him and said, You too were with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you are talking about. When he had gone out to the gateway, another servant girl saw him and said to those who were there, This man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. A little later, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, Surely you two are one of them, for even the way you talk gives you away. Then he began to curse and swear, I do not know the man. And immediately a rooster crowed, and Peter remembered the word which Jesus had said, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. We're going to talk about how to get out of a downward spiral. And I call that downward spiral, the downward spiral of spiritual pride, if we're ever caught in it. And in case you think you're immune from it, think again. I call this the defiance of the self-sufficient. I got this under control, I, but I can end this at any time. There's nothing wrong here. But church, listen, God commends us to refrain from lying. Leviticus 19, verse 11, we are not to tell any lies at any moment. 
Furthermore, the church is the pillar of truth. Remember, 1 Timothy 3.15, we are the pillar of truth. If anything other or less than the whole truth comes out of our mouths, we dishonor the character of our Savior, who is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except by Him. John 14, verse 6. So how can we claim that we follow the one who is the truth when we're not 100% committed to the truth? Now, like Peter, we're all going to face temptations, and sometimes we will fall into the temptation to lie. And often speaking, the truth will cost you money. But my fellow Christian, our conscience is not for sale. Peter's lies here snowballed because he operated by self-sufficiency. You see the problem, you see the spiral, you see why I'm calling this the cyclone or the whirlwind of spiritual pride. He operated by self-sufficiency. He looked down on the other disciples. He wanted to be the first. I mean, he had natural leadership abilities. That's pretty clear from what we know in his life here. He is a natural leader. And that there's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with wanting to call the shots. Nothing wrong with taking the lead in times of crisis. That's okay. But the problem is he looked down on the other disciples. He desired greatness in the kingdom without understanding true humility. And therefore, God needed to teach him a lesson. He struggled with self-control. Again, how can you lead the church if you can't maintain your control? And by the way, I used to tell this to uh, seminary students or people considering the pastoral ministry. If you're prone to hit people in the face when they disagree with you, please don't be a pastor. Or, or if, if your life comes unglued, if you're criticized, go be a plumber. Go sell magazines. Don't be a pastor. And Peter is a leader of the early church here. He had to learn self-control. And self-control means not just, you know, cheating the sword or panicking. Self-control means not lying in a moment of crisis, not trying to get out of trouble by inventing stories. So the question is, church, we're looking at a man who struggles with self-control, a man who is prone to violence, a man who speaks before he thinks and gets everybody in trouble by what he says. Why would God ever recruit such a man to shepherd his flock and care for his people? Which, by the way, he does in John 21, verses 15 through 19. He asks Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Then shepherd my lambs. Three times to match the three denials. So the question is, why would God ever recruit such a man? The answer, same reason he recruited me. Same reason he recruited you. Now, the difference is that I get to do it for a living You are lay leaders. That's the only difference. Same reason he recruited you to service, he recruited me to service, because God loves, church, check this out, God loves to turn broken, unimpressive, unqualified, flawed sinners like us into faithful servants. Do you understand that? God majors in taking broken, sinful, unimpressive, unqualified, imperfect people into faithful servants of God. Because all the power is in Him, not in us. You see, He will not make you an apostle, of course. That office is now obsolete. But He can enlist you, flaws and all, for His glory to leave a legacy, not of brokenness, sin, and failure, but a track record of redemption, renewal, and victory. Now, don't take my word for it. Take God's word for it. For example, to Joshua He said, Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or the left, so that you may have success wherever you go. Joshua 1 verse 7. To Gideon, who never saw himself as a valiant man, and yet the Bible calls him a valiant warrior. 
God said to that man, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat Midian as one man. Judges 6, verse 16. See, Peter thought, maybe, maybe I could be Gideon here and defeat the Romans and, as one man. But to Gideon, God promised, you will defeat the Midianites as one man. About Sarah, the childless, the liar, the manipulator, God says, I will bless her, and she shall be the mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. Genesis 17, verse 16. Church, that is the kind of God we serve. He takes broken people and turns them into heroes of the faith. Now, to Paul, the former persecutor of the church, he said, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9. But you say, Pastor, where's my name in that list? I'm glad you asked. Isaiah 40, verses 29 to 31, he gives strength to the weary, and to him who lacks might, he increases power. Though youths grow weary and tired, and vigorous young men stumble badly, yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles, and they will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. That is the type of strength that God promises to you and to me. If we wait upon the Lord, we transfer our trust from self to the Savior in order to equip us to accomplish what He wants us to accomplish. And that's the key, to accomplish not what we desire to accomplish, but what He wants to do in and through us. So our job is to pray in Lord and ask, Lord, please align my will with your will. I die to my own dreams. I die to my own desires of success in order to serve you as a humble servant. Because the Bible promises, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, and He will exalt you at the right time. First Peter 5, verse 6. So the question is, are you exhausted because you've been trusting in your own self-sufficiency? I experience exhaustion from time to time, and I need to be reminded of these truths here. If you are exhausted because you've been trusting in your own self-sufficiency to serve God, then draw from God's infinite well and wait upon Him, trust Him, hope in the Lord. Let's look at the third level of this spiral of spiritual pride here and how to get out. The first is the deception of the self-confidence, the defiance of the self-sufficient. Now let's examine the desperation of the self-reliant, verses 73 through 75. So Peter went from deception to defiance and now desperation. The guy is desperate now because the walls closed in. He can't get out of this. He is caught in this web of lies and, and, and self-righteousness, self-sufficiency, trusting in his own abilities, looking down on his own disciples. What a lesson. What a great character-shaping experience for Peter here that we all should welcome when God starts doing similar things in our lives. We, we shouldn't run away from it. We shouldn't rebel against God. We should welcome the uh, crushing from God from time to time to get us to be more humble, to get us to understand that, that, that we are to rely on His power, not in our own. So the scene here is the bystanders now cornered Peter. He can't get, he can't run away. He goes as far as to the gateway here. He, he can't get out. He's forced to confront the situation. And from time to time, God will do that to us. He will force us to confront the situation, and we're desperately wanting to get out. We say, Lord, please, I want to get out. I just want to, you know, stop the world because I want to get out. But no, we are forced to confront the situation and deal with the sin issue in our hearts. It may be pride. It may be self-confidence. It may be exaggerated worry and anxiety and lack of trust in God. Whatever it is, Peter is being confronted with this. But the point is, his access.
accent gives him away. I identify with that. Well, you should too, because you're the ones with the accent, not me. His accent gives him away. He, he is a Nazarene. He, he, walks, he, he walks so close with Jesus, even speaks like him. And that's a good thing. He, he uses terms that will identify him as a believer, but they're talking about his accent here in this case. And in frustration and fear, he began to curse. Look at this guy. He's cursing everybody as if to prove to them that he was not one of those followers of the, of the Nazarene. Literally, Matthew tells us here that Peter is calling down anathemas on people, saying, you be anathema if you identify me with Christ. That is would be the equivalent of saying a couple of profanities or yelling out a string of profanities against your accusers. See, he went from a good testimony to now even his speech is causing him to sin even more. Now, Peter acted like the young person, for example, today, who doesn't want to be shunned by his peers and starts to use the same foul language as everybody else does because I want to be part of the group, so I'm going to use the same language that they use. He behaved, Peter behaved like the Christian who doesn't want to be labeled a dinosaur and stay with the times. You know, I'm progressive. Or like a friend of mine one time, he said this when he was teaching English in China. People kept asking him, are you a Christian? And he says, I am a spiritual man. So Peter is like that guy who wants to avoid being labeled an ancient person. I want to be seen as progressive, so therefore I'm going to use terms that are pre-approved by the culture. That's Peter here. If we encounter this situation all the time, instead of using the rightful word for abortion, for example, which is the murder of infants, we say reproductive health care. See, it, it sounds better this way. Or, or instead of calling people for their sinful lifestyle of immorality, we say, oh, that's an alternative lifestyle. Or instead of admitting that we have a sin problem, we say, I've made mistakes. Or, or I hear this all the time, people, I have the disease of alcoholism. No, you don't. That's a sin. No one forces you to take a drink. If we could miraculously bring Peter to our days, he would say, Happy Holidays, or Merry Xmas, rather than Merry Christmas. Praise God that we have a, a Savior who was made flesh in order to die on a cross for us. He will say he is a person of faith rather than admitting that he's a follower of Jesus and that he loves his Savior. Now again, before we get too judgmental here at church, we've all done this or have been confronted with this, have been considered our, our losses here, considering our social incentives for denying Christ. Why are we so embarrassed to say that we belong to Christ and affirm that we live by his standards? Is it fear of rejection? Because that's a real fear, and that's understandable. We all fear rejection. God has called us for fellowship. God has made us for being loved. So we fear rejection, all of us, and the fear of rejection can be paralyzing and cause us to say things that we wouldn't normally do. Belonging and acceptance are basic human needs. We understand that. And even to aggravate our, our predicament, our society nowadays and, and we, we do live in a society, in case you were wondering, we do live in a society that calls evil good and good evil. Okay? Our society no longer offers social incentives for us to announce publicly our affiliation with Jesus. We understand we have a lot to lose. But check this out. Allow me to present to you the life-giving perspective 
from Scripture about our public identification with Christ. All right, Paul says this to the Philippians in Philippians 3, verses 7 through 11. But whatever things were gained to me, and again, remember, Paul had a lot to lose. And he says, whatever things were gained to me, those things that have counted as lost for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ and may be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the Lord, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know Him in the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings, being conformed to His death, in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Church, that is the perspective that we must embrace. We must count all things to be lost for the sake of Christ. We must count everything we hold dear to our lives that are not in alignment with God's will. We must consider all of those rubbish to use the same word that Paul uses here, for the sake of Christ, in order to be identified with His sufferings. We do follow a suffering Messiah, a man of sorrows. So every time, my friend, you encounter sorrow, whether it's self-inflicted or not, whether it's because of your own bad decisions or not, you are identifying with Christ, more so when you encounter sorrows because of the fact that you follow Christ, because you are identifying with the suffering Messiah who gave his life for you. So fellow believer, even if our godless society manages to take your popularity away from you, or your livelihood, or your friends, or even your freedom because of your identification with Christ, check this out, they can never touch your most treasured possession. Okay, They can never touch your Savior Himself because you are in Him and He is in you, the Bible says. Our precious, majestic, wonderful Savior in whom we are secure forever. So there's no need to panic. There's no need to resort to self-preservation techniques in order to, I don't know, preserve whatever things we, whatever profit we think we can have. So go ahead and weep bitterly like Peter. If you have fallen like him, but may your tears water a heart that longs to be restored like the famous apostle was. Because like I said in the beginning, this whole scene here doesn't end with tragedy. Peter's fail was not ultimate. And just like he did to Peter, Jesus will put you back together. That's his promise. The Japanese invented something called kintsugi. I don't know if you've heard of this. It's an art. It's the art of repairing broken pottery by mending it with powdered gold. Now, the artists that uh, do this don't hide the fissures or the cracks in the pottery. They highlight them with beauty by placing gold in them. And as a result, beauty and brightness covers the scars of the clay, telling a story of skilled restoration Revealing the care, wisdom, and excellence of the craftsmen. And as a result, the peace skyrockets in value. And church, that's you and me. We are that broken pottery. Our value is so much greater because of the repairs that God has made in our lives. He is a skilled and loving rebuilder that constantly rebuilds your life and mine, not erasing our past or because we can't really 
forget things, our scars are there as a reminder of the restoration power of God. He covered our sins with the gold of His forgiveness. And as a result, my friend, you are more valuable and more useful now to Him because your life tells a story of redemption, just like the impetuous apostle here. So let me state this in biblical terms. Ephesians 2 verse 10. We are His workmanship. We are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. And again, Peter will retain his leadership qualities for eternity. Because that's how God made him. And likewise, you will retain your qualities, your personality, your peculiarities forever, throughout eternity, only in a glorified manner. You will not irritate anybody, I guarantee. Everybody will be attracted to one another, not in a romantic sense, but in a fellowship sense. Because every one of our personalities here, the quiet type, the, the, the speaking type, the introvert, the extrovert, we all share the creativity or the fact that we were made according to the image of God and we, we reflect the creativity of God. So I'm always going to be me. I'm never going to be a woman. I'm never going to be a different race. I'm going to be a glorified version of myself when I get to heaven and so are you. And we're all together going to glorify God by the way we interact. And the same case with Peter here. Although Matthew doesn't mention Peter by name. In this passage, in fact, he doesn't mention Peter at all throughout the end of the Gospel of Matthew now. He does include him with the other ten disciples in the Great Commission scene in the end of the book. In church, in case you were wondering why Peter's failure wasn't final, remember I've been talking about this since the beginning of this message, that Peter's failure wasn't final. The Bible tells us exactly why Peter's failure wasn't final. Luke 22, verses 31 through 32, Jesus tells Peter, Simon, Simon, Behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And you, when once you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Strengthen your brothers. And church, that is the reason why, in case you're wondering, the reason why your heartbreak is happening or has happened. Because when God restores you, you are to strengthen your brothers, just like Peter did. And you say, well, I don't see that. He's directing these words to, to Peter, Pastor. Well, where am I here? I'm glad you asked. Because in Romans 8, verses 33 and 34, Paul says, Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. He is the one who condemns. Christ Jesus is he who died. Yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. So Christ Jesus is interceding for you at this very moment that your faith may not fail, that your faith will shine brighter because of the gold of His restoration power. My brothers and sisters in Christ, you may fall like the rest of us, but if your faith is anchored in Christ, your faith will not ultimately fail, also known as the perseverance of the saints. Let me say it this way, the perseverance of the Savior. I wanted to recite Romans 1 verse 6, together so that we can finish with that. So I'll say it once and then maybe we can say it again as we finish. I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Can we all say that together again? Romans 1 verse, I'll give you a few moments to look in your Bible there. We're all going to say different versions of the Bible, but that's okay. It's a beautiful chaos. Okay, let's stand together and say that together as we finish.
Let's say it together, Romans 1, verse 6. I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Father, thank you for that reminder today, Lord. Thank you for your sweet word that goes to our thirsty souls and, and, and refreshes our souls and minds, Lord, and our hearts. Lord, thank you for that reminder. We identify with Peter with the fear of rejection, with self-sufficiency, the temptation to deny Christ, the temptation to lie, to get out of trouble, the temptation to look down on others. But Father, what a great lesson here, Lord. And you've done similar things in our lives, Lord. Not as radical, perhaps, as with Peter here, because that's that scene is now an example for every believer, Lord. But we have our own stories on how you have picked us up from the mire of sin and stood us on the solid rock of Christ, Lord. And as when we look at our lives now, we see the scars. They're not, not going to go away, but the scars are covered in gold, covered in the grace of God and the forgiveness of God and then the restoration of God, Lord. And we praise you for that, Lord. Thank you. May we encourage one another with our stories, with our testimonies, just like we've been encouraged by the story of Peter here this morning. Lord, we love you. We want to continue to be faithful to you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. Our email address is radio at gbcsalem.org. Or you can visit our website, truthwithgrace.org, for more information about our church and this media ministry. Plus, we're always looking for people just like you to help us spread the gospel around the world. This broadcast is provided to you at no cost to the generosity of financial and prayer supporters of Truth With Grace. Please feel free to share it, but please don't charge money for it or edit it in any way without the written consent of Grace Baptist Church. Until next time, this is Truth with Grace.